0: He didn't speak until the man stood directly above him, looming like the specter of death itself. There is venom in your body, Kaleeb said placidly. You've come for the cure, he continued. I will not give it to you. The man didn't speak, not surprising given his state. The poison would have left his tongue cracked and swollen, his mouth parched and blistered. But he didn't need words to convey his message as his hand dropped to the hilt of his lightsaber. I'm not afraid to die, Kaleeb said with no change in his voice. You may torture me if you want, he added. Pain means nothing to me. To prove his point, he plunged his hand into the bubbling cauldron. The scent of seared flesh mingled with the smells of soup and poison. His expression never changed even as he withdrew his hand and held it up to show the scalded flesh. He saw doubt and confusion in the newcomer's eyes, a look he'd witnessed many times before. In the past, his stoicism had served him well, usually thwarting the plans of those Sith or Jedi who'd sought him out for one reason or another. They couldn't understand him, and that was how he wanted it. He cared nothing for their war or what either side valued. In fact, there was only one thing he cared about in all the galaxy. And this performance was his only hope of protecting it from the monster standing above him. The implacable man before him puzzled Bane. His only hope for survival had just been denied him, and he wasn't sure what he could do about it. He could sense the power in this man, but it wasn't the power of either the dark side or the light. It wasn't even the power of the force in any normal sense of the word. He drew his strength from ground and stone, mountain and forest, the land and the sky. Despite this difference, Bane could sense that the man's power was formidable in its own way. Bane found its strangeness disturbing, unsettling, Was it possible he was actually going to lose this battle of wills? Was it possible this simple man, a man with only the faintest flicker of the force inside him, was actually able to defy a dark lord of the Sith? Had the healer's mind been weak, Bane could have simply compelled him to do his bidding, but his will was as unyielding as the black iron of the pot he'd plunged his hand into. He had demonstrated that pain and threat of death would be ineffective tools in convincing him to change his mind as well. Even now, Bane could sense his mind building up walls to block out the pain, burying it so deep it almost seemed to disappear. And there was something else he was burying as well. Something he was desperately trying to keep Bane from uncovering. Bane's eyes narrowed as he recognized what it was. He was trying to hide the presence of another, shielding whoever it was from the Dark Lord's hazy, fevered perceptions. He turned his attention to the healer's small ramshackle hut. The man made no move to stop him. In fact, he had no reaction at all. The door was blocked by nothing but a long curtain that flowed gently in the breeze. Bane stepped forward and flipped it aside to reveal a small ramshackle room. A young girl. Her eyes wide with terror, huddled silently against the far wall. A grim smile of relief touched the corners of Bane's lips as he realized the truth. Kalib had a weakness after all. He cared about something. All his strength of will was useless because of this one failing. And Bane was not above exploiting it to get what he needed. With a single mental command, he swept the terrified girl up into the air, carrying her out to suspend her upside down above the healer's boiling pot. Khalib leapt to his feet, showing real emotion for the first time. He reached out to her, then pulled his hand back, his eyes flicking between his daughter and the man who literally held her life in his grasp. Daddy, she whimpered. Help me. The man's head dropped in defeat. All right, he said. You win. You will have your cure. The healing ritual lasted all through the night and into the next day. Khalib drew on all manner of herbs and roots, some cooked in the boiling waters of his pot, others ground up into paste, still others placed directly on Bane's swollen tongue. Throughout the entire process, Bane was wary ready to unleash his vengeance against the healer's child, should the man try to betray him. But as the hours went by, he slowly felt the Synox leeching from his body, drawn out by the medicines. By evening of the next day, all traces of the poison were gone. Bane returned to his camp and packed up. A few hours later, he was ready to lift off and leave Ambria behind. After the completion of the healing ritual, he'd briefly considered slaying both father and daughter for the crime of seeing him in his moment of weakness, but those were the thoughts of a man blinded by his own arrogance. His recent encounter with Githany had shown him the dangers of that path. Neither Khalib nor his daughter presented any threat to him or his goals, and Khalib had a skill he might one day need again. For all its power. The Dark Side was weak in the healing arts, so he had let them live. There was no purpose or advantage in their deaths. Killing without reason or gain was a petty pleasure of sadistic fools, and Bane was determined as he punched the coordinates for Rusan into the nav computer to cleanse the Dark Side of fools. Chapter 27 When the Valsen arrived at Rusan, Bane was surprised to find both Sith and Jedi fleets in the system. The Sith had formed a blockade around the planet, obviously trying to prevent the Jedi from bringing reinforcements to their fellows on the surface. Yet to Bane's eye, it appeared that the Jedi were making no effort to run the blockade. Their ships seemed content to wait, lurking just beyond the range of enemy fire. And the Sith couldn't attack without breaking formation and exposing their lines. The result was a tense stalemate, with neither side willing to make the first move. Despite the blockade, Bane was able to land his ship on Rusan without drawing the attention of either fleet. The Jedi weren't concerned with ships going to the planet and the Sith were patrolling in patterns designed to guard against large-scale incursions. The blockade was meant to stop troop transports, supply ships, and their escorts. It was all but useless against a single scout vessel or fighter. His sensors picked up the Sith encampment soon after he breached the atmosphere, and he brought the Valsin in on the far side of the world. The blockade patrols hadn't spotted him, and he'd disabled the ship's beacon before leaving Lihon. Nobody knew he was here. He planned to keep it that way for a while longer. He set the ship down in the cover of a small range of foothills several kilometers from the encampment. He would draw less attention approaching on foot, and he wanted to keep the Valsan's location secret in case he needed it to make a quick escape. He disembarked and began the long hike to meet up with Khan and his fellow Sith. The feel of this planet was far different from any of the others he'd been on. This was a tired world, weary and spent with the endless wars being waged across its surface. There was a malaise in the air, like some infectious disease of mind and spirit. The Force was strong on Rusan, inevitable given the vast numbers of Sith and Jedi there, yet he sensed it was in turmoil, a maelstrom of confusion and conflict neither the dark nor light held sway. Instead, they collided and fused, becoming an obscene, indecisive gray. Far to the east, he could see the edges of Rusan's great forests. He could sense the Jedi hiding deep within them, though they used the light side to mask their exact location. The Sith encampment was to the west, several kilometers away from the forest's borders, Between them stretched a vast panorama of gently rolling hills and plains, the site of all the major battles that had been fought on Rusan so far. The constant fighting had been punctuated by six full-scale engagements, battles where each side had brought its full strength to bear in an effort to wipe out the enemy, or at least drive them from the world. Three times Hoth and the Army of Light had seized the upper hand. The other three had gone to Khan and his brotherhood yet none of the victories had been decisive enough to bring an end to the war. From the pungent smell of death, Bane suspected some smaller confrontation had been recently fought over this territory as well. His suspicions were confirmed when he crested a rise and came across a scene of slaughter. It was hard to tell who had won. Bodies clad in the garb of each side were everywhere, intermingled, as if the combatants had remained locked together in hatred long after they'd all been slain. Most of the dead were likely to be followers of the Jedi or minions of the Sith, rather than actual Jedi Knights or members of the Brotherhood, though he noticed dark Sith robes and a handful of the bodies. Hovering above the killing field were the bouncers, a unique species native to Rusan. They were at least half a dozen, spherical in shape and of various sizes with most being between one and two meters across. Their round bodies were covered with thick green fur, as were the fin-like appendages protruding from their sides and the long ribbon-like tails that streamed out behind them. They had no visible facial features other than dark, lidless eyes. Reports indicated they were sentient, yet to Bane they looked like animals scavenging the remains of the battle. As he approached, he realized they were communicating— though they possessed no mouths. Somehow, they were projecting mental images of succor and comfort as if they sought to heal the wounds of the scarred land beneath them. They scattered at Bane's approach, whisking themselves away like a bizarre school of fish capable of swimming through the skies. As he drew nearer, he realized they'd been congregating over one of the fallen. The human man was not quite dead though the gaping wound in his gut gave stark evidence that he wouldn't live to see the night. He wore the robes of the Sith, and the shattered remains of a lightsaber's hilt lay near his outstretched hand. Bane recognized him as one of the lesser students from the academy on Korriban. So weak in the dark side, it wasn't even worth the bother of learning his name. Yet he knew Bane. With a groan, the man rolled onto his back and hauled himself up to a sitting position, leaning his head and shoulders against the nearby stone. His eyes, glazed and dilated, cleared momentarily and came into focus. Lord Bain, he gasped. Con told us you were dead. There was no point in replying, so Bain said nothing. You missed the fight, the man mumbled. The words hard to hear through the choking bubbles of blood welling up in his throat. A coughing fit cut off what he was going to say next. He was too weak to even bring up his hand to cover his mouth as he spewed red spots over Bane's dark boots. The battle was glorious. He finally croaked out. It's an honor to fall. It's such a splendid battle. Bane laughed loudly the only appropriate response to such ridiculous stupidity. Glory means nothing for the dead, he said, though it wasn't clear if the man could even hear him in his fevered state. He turned to go, then paused when he felt a feeble tug on his heel. Help me, Lord Bane. Lifting his boot free of the clutching hand, Bane answered, My name is Darth Bane. There was a sickening crunch as his boots slammed down, grinding the man's skull into the rocks, propping him up. His body convulsed once, then lay still. The purging of the Sith had begun. Lord Khan lay on his back on the small cot in his tent, eyes closed, gently massaging his temples. The strain of keeping his followers united in a common cause was taking a heavy toll, and his head constantly pulsed with a dull and relentless ache. Despite their success in recent battles with the Jedi on Rusan, the mood in the Sith camp was tense. They had been on Rusan too long, far too long, and reports kept filtering in of Republic victories in distant systems. Even with his ability to manipulate and influence the minds of the other Dark Lords, It was becoming more and more difficult to keep the Brotherhood focused on their battle against the Army of Light. He knew there was one sure way to end the war and end it quickly. The Thought Bomb. He'd spent many nights wondering if he dared to use it. If they lured the Jedi in and unleashed the Thought Bomb, its blast would completely obliterate their enemies. But would the combined will of the Brotherhood be strong enough to survive such power? Or would they get swept up in the backlash of the explosion? Time and again he dismissed it as too dangerous, a weapon so terrible that even he, a dark lord of the Sith, was afraid to use it. Yet each time he considered it for a few moments longer before backing away from the Abyss. A sound outside the tent caused him to open his eyes and sit up sharply. A second later, Githany, now seen by many as his right hand, poked her head in. They're ready for you, Lord Khan. He nodded and rose to his feet, taking a second to calm and compose himself. If he showed any weakness, the others might turn against him. He couldn't let that happen. Not now, when they were so close to ultimate victory. That was why he'd summoned the other Dark Lords. One final gathering to strengthen their resolve and assure a continued loyalty. Githany led the way through the camp, and he followed her to the large tent where the other Sith Lords were waiting for him. He entered with conviction and purpose, projecting an aura of confidence and authority. As was customary whenever he entered a room, those in the assemblage rose to their feet as a sign of respect. There was one, however, who remained seated, arms folded across his thick chest. "'Are you too heavy to rise, Lord Kopej? Githany asked pointedly. I thought we were all equals in the Brotherhood. The Twilich snarled back, speaking more to Khan than to her. Khan knew he had to tread carefully. This was not the first time Kopesh had been the voice of dissent, and many of the others took their cues from him. Unfortunately, he was also one of the most difficult to influence and control. Equals. Quite right, Lord Kopesh, he said with a weary smile. Remain seated. All of you, we have no need of these pointless formalities. The rest of the group did as he bade and found their seats once more, though it was clear everyone still felt the tension between the two of them. He let a wave of soothing reassurance ripple out across the room as he crossed over to the strategy table. The war against the Jedi is almost won, he declared. They are on the verge of collapse. They've retreated into the forests. But they are running out of places to hide. Kopesh snorted derisively. We've heard that refrain one too many times. It took tremendous effort to maintain his composure, but somehow, Lord Khan managed to reply in a calm, even voice. Anyone who has doubts about our strategy here in Rusan is free to speak, he offered. As has already been pointed out in this meeting, we are all equals in the Brotherhood of Darkness. It's not just Rusan I'm worried about, Corpez replied, accepting the bait and rising to his feet. We've lost ground everywhere else in the galaxy. We had the Republic reeling, but instead of finishing them off, we let them regroup. Most of our early victories came before the Jedi joined their cause. Khan reminded him, The point of attacking the Republic in the first place was to draw the Jedi out. We wanted to force them into a battle of our choosing. This battle, here on Rusan, Now, we are on the verge of wiping them out. And with the Jedi gone, we can easily reclaim the worlds that have slipped back under the Republic's control. And many more besides. Though Kurpej was silent, there were murmurs of agreement from the other Sith Lords. Khan pressed his point even farther. Once we wipe out the enemy here on Rusan, our armies will sweep across the galaxy virtually unopposed. Conquering territory in every sector, we will encircle Coruscant and the other Core Worlds like a noose, drawing ever tighter until we choke the very life out of the Republic. There was a roar of approval from the crowd. When Kopesh spoke again, even he seemed to have lost some of his hostility. But victory here is not assured. We may have Hoth's army surrounded and pinned down, but there's a Jedi fleet with hundreds of reinforcements lurking on the edges of this system. Their reinforcements are on the edge of the system, Khan admitted with a nod not bothering to deny what every single one of them knew to be fact. Just as they have been for the past week. And that's exactly where they will stay, far away from the surface where they are needed. The bulk of our fleet is in orbit around Rusan itself, and the Jedi lack the numbers or the firepower to break through our blockade. If they can't unite their numbers with those here on the surface, Hoth and his followers will fall, and once we have finished them off, we can mop up the tattered remnants of the Order at our leisure. Kopej, mollified, sat down with one final comment. Then let's finish Hoth off quickly and get off this blasted rock. That's exactly the point of this strategy conference, Khan said with a smile knowing he had once again averted a potential schism in the Brotherhood. We may have lost a few skirmishes here and there, but we are about to win the war. Githany stepped up and handed him a map with the latest data from their reconnaissance drones. He gave her a nod of thanks and unfurled it on the table, then bent down for a closer look. Our spies indicate Hoth's main camp is located here, he said, jabbing a finger at a heavily wooded section of the map. If we can flush them out of the forest, we might be able to. He stopped short as a dark shadow fell across the map. What now? He demanded, pounding his fist on the table and snapping his head up to find the cause of this latest interruption. An enormous mountain of a man stood in the doorway, blocking the light streaming in from outside. He was tall and completely bald, with a heavy brow and hard unforgiving features. He wore the black armor and robes of the Sith, and a hook-handled lightsaber hung at his side. Though he had never met the man before, Lord Khan had heard enough about him to know exactly who he was. "'Doth Bane!' he exclaimed. He cast a quick glance in Githany's direction, wondering if she had betrayed him. From the expression on her face... It was obvious she was just as surprised as he was to see their visitor alive and well. We... we thought you were dead, he began uncertainly. How did... I'm tired, Bane interrupted. Do you mind if I sit? Of course, Khan quickly agreed. Anything for a brother. The big man sneered as he settled into one of the nearby chairs. Thank you, brother. Brother. There was something in his tone that put Khan's guard up. What was he doing here? Did he know that Githany had tried to poison him? Did he know Khan had sent her? Please continue with your strategy, Bane urged with a casual wave of his hand. Khan's hackles rose. It was as if he was being given permission to continue, as if Bane was the one in charge. Gritting his teeth, he looked down at the map again and resumed where he'd left off. As I was saying, the Jedi are hiding in the forests. We can flush them out if we split our numbers. If we deploy our flyers, we can flank their southern lines. Ah! Bane spat out, slapping his open palm down hard on the table. Deploying flyers and flanking armies, he mocked, rising to his feet and thrusting an accusing finger at Khan. You're thinking like a dirt general, not a Sith Lord! A heavy silence had fallen across the room Even Khan was left speechless He could feel all eyes on him Watching intently to see what would happen next Bane stepped in close His face just centimeters from Khan's own How did you ever find the guts to poison me? He asked in a low menacing whisper I... that wasn't me Khan stammered as Bane turned his back on him ''Don't apologize for using cunning and trickery,'' the big man admonished, moving over to the strategy table. ''I admire you for it. We are Sith, the servants of the dark side,'' he continued, bending down to study the troop positions and tactical layout spread out before him. ''Now look at this map and think like a Sith. Don't just fight in the forest. Destroy the forest.'' It was Githany who finally broke the ensuing silence, asking the question on everyone's mind. And just how do you propose we do that? Bane turned back to them with an evil grin. I can show you. Night had fallen, but in the lights of the blazing campfires, Bane could see the others scurrying to and fro, making the preparations as he had instructed. When he sensed Githany approaching from behind him, he turned. She was holding a bowl of steaming soup and wore a cautious, uncertain expression. It will be another hour before they are ready to begin this ritual of yours, she said by way of greeting. When he didn't reply, she added, You look tired. I brought you something to restore your strength. He took the bowl from her, but didn't raise it to his lips. He discovered the ritual he spoke of while studying Revan's holocron. A way to unite the minds and spirits of the Sith through a single vessel so their strength could be unleashed upon the physical world. In many ways, the process was similar to the one used to fashion a thought bomb from the Force, though this was less powerful than the ritual he'd sent as a peace offering to Khan, and far less dangerous. He realized Githany was still studying him closely, so he tilted his head toward the soup. Come to poison me again? he asked. There was just a hint of playful teasing in his voice. You knew all along, didn't you? She said. He shook his head. Not until I tasted the poison on your lips. She raised a single eyebrow and gave him a coy smile. But you came back for a second helping. And a third. Poison should not harm a Dark Lord, he told her. Then he admitted, yet it almost killed me. He paused, but she didn't say anything. There are too many Sith Lords in the Brotherhood, he went on. Too many who are weak in the Dark Side. Khan doesn't understand this. Khan's afraid you've come back to take over the Brotherhood. After a moment, she added, I think he's right. Not take over, he thought, but obliterate. He didn't bother to correct her, though. It wasn't the time, yet. He still needed further proof that she was the right one to become his apprentice. Two there should be, no more, no less. One to embody the power, the other to crave it. It was a choice he wasn't about to rush into. I can show you the true power of the Dark Side, Githany. Power beyond what any of these others can even imagine. He said. Teach me, she breathed. I want to learn. You can show me everything. After you've taken Khan's place as leader of the Brotherhood. He couldn't help but wonder if she was still trying to manipulate him. Did she want to play him and Khan against each other? Or was she looking for him to usurp Khan as proof of his newfound strength? No, he admitted. She still doesn't understand that the entire Sith Order must be torn apart and rebuilt from scratch. Maybe she won't ever understand. Tell me something, he said. Was it your idea to poison me, or Khan's? With a slight laugh, she ducked beneath his arm, holding the bowl of soup, and came up close against his chest, looking right up into his eyes. It was my idea, she confessed, but I was careful to make sure Khan thought it was his. There might be hope for her yet. Bane thought. I know I made a mistake before, she continued, moving away from him. I should have gone with you when you left Korriban. I didn't realize what you were after. I didn't understand the secrets you were seeking. But I understand them now. You are the true leader of the Sith, Bane. I'll follow you from now on. And so will the rest of the Brotherhood. After we use your ritual to destroy the Jedi." Yes, he agreed, keeping his voice carefully neutral and taking a sip of the steaming soup. After we've destroyed the Jedi. Bane knew they couldn't really destroy the Jedi. Not here on Rusan, Not like this. Somehow the Jedi would survive. No ordinary war could completely eliminate the Servants of the Light. Only the tools of the dark side, cunning, secrecy, treachery, betrayal, could do that. The same tools he would use to wipe out the entire Brotherhood of Darkness. Beginning with the ritual, tonight. Chapter 28 Khan, Githany, and the rest of the Dark Lords had gathered atop a barren plateau overlooking the vast forests where Hoth and his army were hiding. They had come on their flyers, short-range, single-person, airborne vehicles front-mounted with heavy blaster guns. The flyers were parked at the edge of the plateau, fifty meters away from where the Sith sat in a loose circle. The ritual had begun. They were communing with the Force, all of them slipping into a meditative trance as one. Their minds drifted deeper and deeper into the well of power contained within each individual, drawing on their strength and combining it through a single conduit. Bane stood in the center of the circle, urging them on. Touch the dark side. The dark side is one, indivisible. The night sky filled with dark clouds and a fierce wind swirled across the plateau, tearing at the cloaks and capes of the Sith. The air shook with the thunder and crackle of a mounting electrical storm. Bolts of blue-white lightning arced through the air, and the temperature suddenly dropped. Give yourself over to the dark side. Let it surround you, engulf you, devour you. The Brotherhood slipped deeper into the collective trance, barely even aware of the storm now raging about their physical selves. Bane stood at the eye of the storm, drawing the bolts of lightning into himself, feeding on them. He felt his strength surge as he channeled and focused the dark side from the others. This is how it should be. All the power of the Brotherhood in one body the only way to unleash the full potential of the dark side. Do you feel invincible? Invulnerable? Immortal? He had to shout to be heard above the howling wind and thunder. A web of lightning spiraled out from his body, connecting him to each of the other Sith. He shivered, then suddenly went stiff, arms spread out at his sides, slowly, His rigid body began to rise into the air. Can you feel it? He screamed, feeling as if the raw power of the Force roaring through him might rip his very flesh asunder. Are you ready to kill a world? There was very little in the galaxy that could scare a man like General Hoff. Yet as he sat looking over the latest situational reports from his scouts, he felt the first glimmers of real fear gnawing away at the base of his skull. The rift between himself and Farfalla had been mended, but now there was no way to get the reinforcements down to Rusan's surface. Small messenger ships with a crew of one or two had been able to slip past the Sith blockade undetected, though on occasion even these vessels had been spotted and destroyed. Anything larger would never make it. But his fear was more than the result of his frustration at having help so near yet so impossibly far away. There was something sinister in the air, something evil. Suddenly an image leapt unbidden to his mind, a premonition of death and destruction. He sprang to his feet and ran from his tent. Even though it was the middle of the night, he was only mildly surprised to see that most of the rest of the camp was up and about. They had felt it too. Something coming for them, coming fast. They were looking to him for leadership, waiting for him to take command. He did so with a single shouted order. Run! The storm rolled down from the plateau and rumbled across the forest. Hundreds of forks of searing lightning shot down from the sky, and the forest erupted. Trees burst into flames, the blaze racing through the branches and spreading out in all directions. The underbrush smoldered, smoked, and ignited, and a wall of fire swept across the planet's surface. The inferno consumed everything in its path. Heat and fire. There was nothing else in Bane's world. It was as if he had become the storm itself. He could see the world before him, swallowed up in red and orange, and reduced in seconds to ash and embers by the unchained fury of the dark side. It was glorious. And then suddenly it was gone. There was a jarring thump as his body dropped from where it had been hovering five meters above the ground. For several seconds, he was completely disoriented, unable to figure out what happened. Then he understood. The connection had been broken. He rose to his feet slowly, uncertain of his balance. All around him were the forms of the Sith, no longer kneeling in meditation, but collapsed or rolling on the ground, their minds reeling from the sudden end to the joining ritual. One by one, they also regained their composure and stood, most looking as confused as Bane had been only seconds before. Then he noticed Lord Khan standing off to the side over by the flyers. What happened? Bane demanded angrily. Why did you stop? Your plan worked, Khan replied curtly. The forest is destroyed. The Jedi have fled to open ground. They are exposed, vulnerable. Now we go to finish them off. Kahn had broken the connection, and somehow he'd managed to drag the others out along with him, as if he had some hold over their minds. Perhaps he does, Bane thought, further proof that they all had to be destroyed if the Sith were to be cleansed. As the others regained their senses, Kahn was shouting out orders and battle plans. The fire flushed the Jedi out into the open! We can mow them down from the sky. Hurry! They jumped at his command, rushing to their waiting vehicles and taking to the sky with battle cries and shouts of triumph. Come on, Bane, Githany said, rushing past him. Let's join them! He grabbed her arm, pulling her up short. Khan is still trying to win this war through blasters and armies, he said. That is not the way of the dark side. It's more fun this way. She said, the excitement obvious in her voice. She shook free of his grasp. As he watched her run to join the others, he realized that she had been corrupted by the teachings of Cordus and the Academy on Korriban. Despite her promise to follow Bane, she couldn't see beyond the Brotherhood and its limitations. She was tainted, unfit to be his apprentice. She would have to die with all the others. There was the faintest hint of regret as he made the decision, but the regret was hollow, the echo of a feeling, the last vestiges of an emotion. He snuffed it out quickly, knowing it could only make him weak. You frighten us, Bane, a voice said from behind. He turned to see Corpege, studying him carefully. When we were focusing the Force through you, it felt as if you had your teeth on our throats. But Twi'lek continued, As if you were trying to suck us dry. The power of the dark side is strongest if it is concentrated in one vessel. Bane replied, Not spread out among many. I did it for the sake of the dark side. Corpe shook his head and climbed onto his flyer. Well, we know you weren't doing it for us. Bane watched him soar off. Then he climbed onto his own flyer. But instead of following Khan to the battle, he set a course back to the Sith camp. The first phase of his plan to destroy the Brotherhood was complete. When he arrived back at the camp 20 minutes later, he wasn't surprised to find it completely deserted. All the Dark Lords had been on the plateau for the ritual, and they had all flown off in Khan's wake to face the suddenly vulnerable Jedi. The soldiers, servants, and followers who made up the bulk of the Sith army had originally been left behind at the camp, but they'd since received calmed orders from Khan and the others to join them at the battlefield. Bane brought his flyer in for a landing in the heart of the camp, right beside Lord Khan's tent. He killed the engine and was surprised to hear the distant whine of another flyer approaching. He looked up, curious. When it swooped in low, he recognized the rider. The vehicle was bearing down on him in a direct line. Bane let his hand drop to his lightsaber, ready to unclip it at a moment's notice. The force welled up within him, prepared to throw up a protective shield if the flyer's front-mounted blaster should open fire. But the flyer didn't attack. Instead, it swooped a few meters over his head, banked sharply, and then came in for a landing beside his own. You have no need of your weapon, Cordis said as he dismounted. I've come with an offer. Realizing there was no immediate threat, Bane let his hand drop back to his side. An offer? What could you possibly have to offer me? My allegiance, Cordis said, dropping to one knee. Bane stared down at him, his expression a mixture of horror, amusement, and contempt. Why? Would you give your allegiance to me? He asked. And why should I even want it? Cordis rose slowly to his feet, a cunning smile on his lips. I am not blind, Lord Bane. I see you speaking with Githany. I see how you are undermining Khan. I know the real reason you have come to Rusan. Perplexed, Bane wondered if it was possible that Cordus, the founder of the Academy on Korriban, the most ardent proponent of all that was wrong with the Sith, had finally seen the truth. "'What exactly are you proposing?' he asked through clenched teeth. "'I know what happened to Kasim. He sided with Khan against you. He paid for that decision with his life. I am not so foolish.' "'I know you're here to take over the Brotherhood,' he declared. "'I believe you will succeed, and I want to help you. "'You want to help me take over the Brotherhood?' Bane laughed. Chorus was as blind and misguided as the rest of them. "'Replace one leader with another, "'and you and the rest of the Brotherhood continue on as before.' That's your brilliant plan! I can prove quite useful to you, Lord Bane," Cordis insisted. Many of the Brotherhood are former students of my academy. They still look to me for wisdom and guidance. And therein lies the problem. Bane lashed out with the dark side, seizing Cordis in an immobilizing, crushing grip. His opponent tried to protect himself, throwing up a field to deflect the incoming assault but Bane's attack tore through the pitiful defense, wiping it away as if it hadn't even been there. There was a strangled cry of pain from Cordis as the force tightened around him and lifted him up from the ground. Your wisdom has destroyed our order, Bane explained casually, watching as Cordis struggled helplessly above him. You have polluted the minds of your followers. You and Khan have led them down the path of ruin. I, I don't understand! Cordis gasped, barely able to speak as the breath was squeezed inexorably from his lungs. That has always been the problem, Bane replied. The Brotherhood must be purged. The Sith must be destroyed and rebuilt. You, Khan, and all the others must be wiped from the face of the galaxy. That's why I've returned dawning horror spread across Cordis's long-drawn features. Please, he groaned, not uh, like this. Release me. Let me draw my lightsaber. Let us fight uh, like Sith. Bane tilted his head to the side. Surely you know I could kill you just as easily with my lightsaber as I could with the Force. I... And... no! Cordis's skin was turning red, and his body was trembling as the pressure mounted. Each word he spoke took tremendous effort, yet somehow, the dying man found the strength to make his final plea. More honor... in... death... by... combat! Bane gave an indifferent shrug. Honor is for the living. Dead is dead. A final push with his mind tightened the invisible vice. Cordis let out a final scream, but with no air in his lungs, it came out only as a rattling gasp that was lost beneath the snapping and crackling of his bones. Had Bane still been capable of such emotions, he might actually have pitied the man. As it was, he simply let the corpse fall to the ground, then wandered into Khan's tent, and the communications equipment inside. It was time to enact the second phase of his plan. On the deck of Nightfall, great flagship of the Sith Fleet, acting commander Admiral Adriana Nyrus responded to the hailing frequency coming from the private comm link on her wrist. This is Admiral Nyrus, she said into it. I await your orders, Lord Khan. Lord Khan is not here. An unfamiliar voice replied. This is Lord Bane. She hesitated for only a second before answering. Khan rarely let anyone else use his personal transceiver, but on occasion it did happen. And with the security encryption on the equipment, it was virtually impossible for anyone else to tap into the frequency. The message had to be coming from the Sith camp, which meant she really was speaking to one of the Dark Lords. Forgive me, Lord Bane. She apologized. What are your orders? Status report. Unchanged, she replied, her voice sharp with military precision and efficiency. The blockade is intact. The Jedi fleet still hovers just beyond our range. Engage. Pardon, she asked, so surprised that she momentarily forgot whom she was speaking to. You heard me, Admiral. Engage the Jedi fleet. The Order made no sense. The last time Khan had spoken to her... He'd ordered her to hold their position at all costs. As long as they maintained location and orbit, their blockade was virtually impenetrable. If they broke formation and attacked the Jedi fleet, however, they wouldn't be able to stop dropships from landing reinforcements on the surface. Still, she had been given strange orders before during her service with the Sith. There were rumors that Khan had some mystic power some way to influence the outcome of a battle through the power of the Force that could make traditional strategies fall by the wayside. And if a Dark Lord was giving her a direct order, using the personal communications equipment in Lord Khan's tent, she wasn't about to run the risk of refusing to obey. As you command, Lord Bane, she answered. We will engage the Jedi. The fire drove General Hoth and his army from the sheltering confines of the forest. Leaving most of their supplies and equipment behind, his troops ran through the trees, a mad scramble to escape the searing heat and flames. Those who stumbled or fell were instantly swallowed up by the conflagration. Somehow, most managed to stay ahead of the deadly fires, eventually bursting out of the woods and into the rocky plains where so many battles had already been fought. The Sith were there waiting for them. The first wave of Hoth's followers to emerge from the forest were mowed down by blaster fire. Those just behind were able to draw their lightsabers and deflect many of the deadly bolts as they raced out onto the plains, only to be swallowed up by the throngs of Sith soldiers rushing forward to engage them. Though outnumbered, the Jedi more than held their own they drove the Sith ranks back, breaking their lines and throwing them into chaos and disarray. But Hoth knew that the real trap had yet to be sprung. Hewing down any foe foolish enough to come in range of his lightsaber, the general could sense these were not the true Sith. The Dark Lords were not among them. These were the Faceless Hordes, nothing more than a distraction. Where are they? What is Khan up to? The answer came an instant later, when a battalion of flyers swooped in over the horizon, unleashing a deadly barrage across the battlefield. Guided by the power of the dark side, the heavy guns were deadly in their accuracy, decimating Hoth's troops and turning the tide of the battle back in favor of the Sith. Hoth had faced impossible odds before and triumphed, yet he knew this battle was fated to be his last but I will make a last stand worthy of story and song, he thought defiantly, even though there won't be anybody left to sing it. The world dissolved into the numbing fog of war. Screams and the sounds of battle became a dull, indistinguishable roar. The spray of dirt and stone from the blaster bolts exploding into the ground showered down on him from above, mingling with the sweat and blood of both friend and foe. He swung each blow as if it might be his last, knowing that sooner or later, one of the flyers would lock in on him and swoop down to finish him off. Lord Khan's flyer carved a path back and forth above the milling soldiers on the battlefield below, soaring over the chaos like a grim bird of prey. From his vantage point, it was clear the battle was theirs. Yet even though they were ill-equipped, outnumbered and badly outgunned, the Jedi fought bravely to the bitter end. There was no hint of retreat, no breaking of their ranks. He couldn't help but admire such courage and such devotion to a cause even in the face of certain death. If his own troops had been so steadfast in their loyalty and purpose, he would have won this war long ago. It wasn't that they lacked discipline. The Sith armies were just as well trained as those of the Jedi or the Republic. They simply lacked conviction. Too often their morale had been held together only by the sheer force of Khan's will, his battle meditation strengthening their resolve whenever the situation seemed grim or desperate. But his battle meditation could only do so much. Against an entire army of Jedi on guard against the force powers of the Sith, It could do little more than instill a vague sense of unease. A small advantage, but one easily overcome. Here, on the surface of this wretched world, the Brotherhood of Darkness and its minions had been forced to fight on their own merits, without his intervention. And far too many times, they had come up short. There had been occasions when he'd questioned the ability of his followers to succeed on their own. There were instances when he wondered if the Sith troops had become so reliant on the enormous advantage of his battle meditation that they'd forgotten how to fight effectively without it. But now at last, the ultimate victory had been achieved. The Jedi were making a last desperate stand, one glorious to behold, yet the outcome was inevitable. There was just one thing left for Lord Khan to do before the fighting ended. He continued to weave back and forth, firing sporadically at the enemy below as he searched for his real prey. Then at last he saw him, General Hoth, standing in the very center of the fray, surrounded by a bulwark of valiant allies and a relentless sea of Sith foes that broke against them again and again and again. Locking his flyer's guns on his target, he swooped in intent on taking his rival's life in a spectacular strafing run. But a mere second before he fired, a massive explosion rocked his flyer, causing it to veer to the left. His shots carved a deep furrow in the ground several meters to the left of the general, leaving him miraculously unharmed. Hoth continued fighting as if he hadn't even noticed, but Khan banked his vehicle around sharply to see what had happened. Before he completed the turn, another explosion shook the sky beside him, and he saw one of the other flyers careen out of control and crash into the ground. He looked up, realizing they were under attack from above. A pair of massive gunships were descending on the battle, their batteries blasting the Sith flyers from the sky one by one. On the underside of each ship, the colors of Jedi Master Valentine Farfara were clearly visible. Impossible. Khan cursed silently. There is no way they could have broken through the blockade. Not with ships like this. Yet somehow they had. Another series of blasts took out three more of the small flyers, and Khan realized it was his army that was now suddenly overmatched. The Flyers were quicker and more maneuverable than the Jedi gunships but their blasters wouldn't even make a dent in the larger vessel's heavily armored hulls. For a brief second, he thought he might be able to rally the other Dark Lords. If they concentrated their attacks, they might be able to bring the gunships down, though their own losses would be heavy. But he dismissed that idea as quickly as it had come. He wasn't the only one who had noticed the arrival of the Jedi reinforcements. Faced with overwhelming odds, the Dark Lords, under his command, had reacted in the only manner they understood, self-preservation through flight. Already most of the other flyers had broken off their strafing runs and were executing evasive maneuvers intent only on escaping the battlefield alive. And with their lords and masters fleeing the engagement, the hordes of Sith soldiers on the ground would be quick to follow. Imminent victory, was about to become disastrous defeat. Swearing vile oaths against both the Jedi and his own people, Lord Khan knew there was only one option left. Weaving and darting to avoid a pair of bolts intended to blow him from the sky, he joined the retreat. Chapter 29 General Hoth couldn't help but offer the ragged hint of a smile, despite the dead and wounded that lay scattered across the battlefield. The Sith had sprung their trap, and somehow, the Army of Light had survived. He recognized Farfalla's colors on the gunships that were now circling the field, keeping the Sith stragglers pinned down under whatever cover they could find, until the troops on the ground could surround them and demand their surrender. Most were quick to comply. Everyone knew the Jedi preferred taking prisoners over killing their enemies, just as everyone knew the Jedi treated their prisoners humanely. The same could not be said for the Sith, of course. A small convoy of personal flyers was emerging from the gunships, flying down to join the survivors on the ground. The General recognized Farfalla aboard the lead flyer, even as Farfalla caught sight of him and came in to land. The younger Jedi stepped off his flyer, not speaking but extending his hand by way of cautious greeting. He was dressed in clothes as bright and outlandish as ever, but for some reason it didn't bother Hoth as it once had. Hoth stepped over to him and clasped him in a firm embrace, causing Farfalla to laugh in surprise. Hoth only released him from the fierce hug when Farfalla began to cough and sputter. (coughs) Greetings, Lord Hoth. Farfalla said once he was released, making a deep bow and a flourish. Standing up, he gazed out across the battlefield, and his expression became more serious. My only regret is we couldn't get here sooner. It's a miracle you're here at all, Farfalla, Hoth replied. I'm afraid to even ask how you managed to run the blockade, in case this all turns out to be nothing more than the fevered dream of a doomed and dying man. Rest assured, General. I am quite real. As to how we arrived, that is easy enough to explain. The Sith broke the ranks of their blockade to engage our fleet. With our capital ships drawing the focus of their cruisers and dreadnoughts, we were able to send several gunships down to your aid. What about the rest of our fleet? Hoth asked in concern. The Sith had nearly double the numbers of your ships. They held their own long enough for us to get through the blockade, then disengaged and retreated with surprisingly few casualties. Good. The general nodded, then he frowned. But I still don't understand why they would engage your fleet at all. It makes no sense. I can only assume that they received orders to do so from someone here on the surface. Khan was on the verge of wiping us out, Hoth insisted. The last thing he would do is give the order to engage. Both Jedi were silent for a moment, pondering the implications of what had happened. Finally, Farfalla asked Is it possible we have an unknown ally among the Brotherhood of Darkness? Hoth shook his head. I doubt it. More likely the Sith are finally beginning to turn on each other. It was inevitable. Master Farfalla nodded his agreement. It is the way of the dark side, after all. Khan was fuming as his flyer touched down back at the Sith camp. How could everything have gone so terribly wrong in such a short time? They had been on the cusp of victory, and now suddenly, they were on the knife's edge of defeat. He stormed across the camp toward his tent, ignoring the questioning looks of Githany and the others. They wanted an explanation, but he didn't have one to give. Not yet. Not until he got a status report from Admiral Nyrus. How did Farfalla break through the Criffing blockade? His anger was so great that he didn't notice Cordis’s flyer parked near his tent, or the droplets of blood scattered on the ground nearby. If he had, he might have searched the area and found the bodies stashed in the nearby undergrowth. But all of Khan's focus was concentrated on reaching his tent and the communications equipment inside. He found Bane there waiting for him, standing still a stone. Back so soon, Khan? he asked. What happened to your glorious battle? Reinforcements, Khan snarled. Somehow, Farfala found a way to break through our blockade. I told your fleet to engage the Jedi, Bane said. His words as casual as if he'd been discussing the weather. Khan's jaw dropped. He'd suspected treachery, but he wasn't prepared for the traitor to openly admit it. But... why? I wanted all the Jedi here on Rusan at the same time. Bane replied. You blasted fool! Khan shouted, waving his arms madly, as if they were gripped by uncontrollable spasms. Victory was ours! We had Hoth beaten! That is your goal, not mine. I'm after a prize far greater than the death of General Hoth. He's but one man. Khan barked out a harsh laugh. We all know what prize you seek, Darth Bane. You're here to take over the Brotherhood. Bane shrugged indifferently, as if it didn't matter one way or the other to him. He seemed so calm, so certain of what he was doing. It was all Khan could do to keep himself from leaping at the larger man's throat. Didn't he understand what he'd done? Couldn't he see that he'd doomed them all? Khan slumped wearily into a chair. If you lead them against the Jedi, you lead them to their slaughter. Now it was Bane who laughed. A low, sinister chuckle. <laughs> How quickly you've fallen into despair, Khan. It seemed only hours ago you were certain of victory. That was before Farfalla and his reinforcements arrived. Khan shot back. Back when we had the advantages of numbers and air superiority. All that is gone thanks to you. We can't possibly defeat them now. I can, Bane vowed. Khan sat up straighter in his chair. Again there was that unwavering confidence. Bane knew something he didn't, some trick. Another ritual like the last one, he guessed. I know many rituals, many secrets, and I have the strength to use them. Dread gripped Khan. The thought bomb? He breathed. Your leadership has failed, Bane declared. Now I will take the Brotherhood down the path to victory. And what of me? Khan asked, already knowing the answer. You can swear your loyalty to me with all the others, Bane told him. Or you can die here in this tent. Lord Khan knew he was no match for Bane, either physically or through the power of the Force, yet he wasn't about to surrender so easily. Not while he still had cunning, guile, and his unique talents of persuasion on his side. "'Do you really believe the Others will follow you?' he asked, pushing out with the Force to plant the first seeds of doubt in his rival's mind. "'They are still wary of you after your last ritual.' A flicker of uncertainty passed across Bane's hard features. Khan increased the pressure of his invisible compulsions and continued to speak. The Brotherhood is about equality, not servitude. Asking the others to bow down before you will only drive them away or turn them against you. He rose from his chair as Bane nervously stroked his chin, weighing the arguments. How do you think the others will react when I tell them how you orchestrated the arrival of the Jedi reinforcements? Bane's dark eyes flashed angrily, and his hand dropped to the hilt of his lightsaber. Killing me won't keep your secret, Khan warned him. The others know you weren't at the battle when Farfalla's ships arrived. More than a few of them probably already suspect you of betraying them. Khan pushed even harder with the Force, trying to twist and warp Bane's very thoughts. "'You may be the strongest among us, but you can't defeat us all. Not by yourself, Bane.' The big man staggered and clutched at his head. He stumbled over to the chair and collapsed in it, the wood groaning under his massive frame. He hunched forward, hands pressing hard on his temples. "'You're right,' he said through tightly clenched teeth." You're right. There's still hope, though. Khan said, stepping over and placing a reassuring hand on Bane's broad shoulder. Follow me, and I will keep the others from turning against you. Join us in the Brotherhood! Bane nodded slowly, then turned his head to stare up at Khan with a desperate, hopeless expression in his eyes. What about the Jedi? What about their gunships? Khan stood slowly releasing his mental hold over the other man, We can nullify their air superiority by retreating into the caves, he said. I know General Hoth. He will follow us. And there, we will unleash the thought bomb against them. Bane leapt to his feet eagerly. Khan was pleased to see that his powers of force persuasion were as strong as ever. Even Bane was not immune to his manipulations. I will do as you say, Lord Khan, he exclaimed. Together, we will destroy the Jedi! Peace, Bane, Khan urged, extending tendrils of soothing calm. He had nullified the threat to his position that Bane represented, but he knew the effect was only temporary. In time, Bane's hostility would return, as would his dreams of usurping the mantle of leadership. Khan needed to find a more permanent solution. Unfortunately, he said, there are still complications. Complications? I can convince the rest of the Brotherhood to forgive your treasonous acts, but only after the Jedi are destroyed. Until then, you will have to remain hidden from the others. The confused and hurt expression on Bane's face was pitiful, but Khan was used to eliciting such naked emotion in those he manipulated. I will lead the Brotherhood to the caves, he explained. I am strong enough to join their minds and unleash the power of the Thought Bomb without your help. You stay here in the tent until nightfall, then sneak out of the camp. Stay safely out of view, until the deed is done. And once the Jedi are destroyed, you will return for me? Yes, Khan promised, his voice solemn. Once the Jedi are gone, I will return for you with the full strength of the Brotherhood. That much, at least, was true. He would leave nothing to chance. He wouldn't underestimate his opponent anymore. Bane had already survived one assassination attempt. This time, he would unleash the full numbers of his followers against his foe. I will do as you command, Lord Khan. Bane replied, dropping to one knee and bowing his head. Khan turned and marched out into the camp, heading for his own tent where the pages containing the ritual of the thought bomb were hidden away. Bane stayed in the position of supplication until the Dark Lord was well out of sight. Then, stood up and brushed the dirt from his knees with a grim scowl. He had felt Khan's efforts to dominate his mind, but they had had no more effect than a rusted knife scraping against the hide plates of a Halorian ice bore. Yet he had seized on the opportunity and delivered a performance worthy of the greatest dramatist on Alderaan. Khan was convinced the thought-bomb was the key to Sith victory, and he was about to ensnare the rest of the Brotherhood in his web of madness. The second phase of Bane's plan was set in motion. By nightfall the next day, it would all be over. On the perimeters of the Jedi camp, patrols circled endlessly throughout the night, ever vigilant and watchful. It wasn't just attacks from the Sith they stood guard against, but also the invasions of the floating, fur-covered bouncers. The previously peaceful and docile native creatures of Rusan had been driven mad by the cataclysm that had swept through the forest. Before they had been a familiar and welcome sight, gathering in groups over the sick and wounded to project images of comfort and healing. Now they emerged from the night's gloom in terrible packs, inflicting twisted nightmares that brought suffering, terror, and panic to all in the vicinity. There was nothing the patrols could do but shoot the tormented creatures on sight, before they spread their madness among the Jedi. A grim task, but necessary, as so many other things here on Rusan had been. Fortunately, the patrols had managed to keep the bouncers at bay, and the mood within the confines of the Jedi camp itself was one of cautious optimism. After the hopeless despair of the past months, their subdued enthusiasm almost felt like jubilant revelry to General Hoth. They were no longer the hunted, cowering in the depths of the forest, surviving only as long as they remained hidden. The Jedi had gained the upper hand. Their new camp had been set up on the open plains, along the edges of the very battlefield where the war had turned. And now, it was the Sith who'd gone into hiding. The General, though still exhausted by the desperate escape from the flames and the fighting that followed, refused to sleep. There were too many details to see to, too many things that needed his attention. In addition to organizing the patrols to protect against the bouncers, he also had to oversee the distribution of fresh supplies. Farfalla ships had delivered desperately needed food, medpacks, and fresh power cells for blasters and personal shields. With most of their other stores lost to the unnatural wildfire that had devastated the forests, the general wanted to make sure all his troops were properly re-equipped and tended to before he granted himself the luxury of rest. He wove his way through dozens of dying campfires and scores of snoring bodies. There were still short on tents for the troops, but those without were more than content to spend the warm nights splayed out on the ground, sleeping beneath the open sky. General! A voice called out, surprisingly loud in the otherwise still night. Hoth turned to see Farfalla running toward him, sure-footed despite the darkness as he leapt nimbly over the slumbering soldiers in his way. Pausing to let him catch up, Hoth returned his now customary yet still extravagant bow with a courteous nod. Do you have news, Master Farfalla? The younger man nodded excitedly. Our scouts have spotted the Sith on the move. Khan is leading them east toward the foothills. Probably heading to the caves and tunnel systems. Hoth guessed. Trying to take away our advantage in the air. Farfalla smiled. Fortunately, we've already done some reconnaissance on the area. We know most of the major access points to and from the surface. Once they go into the tunnels, we can surround the exits. They'll be trapped. Hmm. Hoth stroked his heavy beard. It isn't like Khan to make such an obvious tactical mistake. He muttered, he's up to something. I could instruct some of the scouts to follow them into the tunnels and keep an eye on them, Farfalla suggested. No, Hoth said firmly after only a moment's consideration. Khan will be watching for spies. I won't deliver any of our people into his hands for interrogation. Maybe we could starve them out, Farfalla offered. Force them to surrender without any more bloodshed. That would be the best solution. The general admitted. Unfortunately, I don't think we can afford that kind of time. He gave a deep sigh and a weary shake of his head. I don't know why Khan's heading into the caves. I just know we have to do something to stop him. Resolve hardened his face. Sound the reveille and assemble the troops. We'll go in after him. Not to question your orders, General." Farfalla began as tactfully as he could. But is it possible Khan is luring you into a trap? I'm almost certain of it. Hoth conceded. But it's a trap he's going to spring sooner or later anyway. I'd rather not give him time to prepare. If we're lucky, we can catch him before he's ready. As you command, General. Farfalla said with another of his grandiose bows. Then he added... You, however, should get some sleep. You look as pale and drawn as one of the Sith yourself. I can't sleep now, my friend. Hoth answered, placing a heavy hand on Farfalla's delicate shoulder. I was here at the start of this war. I was the one who led the Army of Light here to Rusan to FaZe Khan's Brotherhood of Darkness. I must see this out to the end. But how much longer can you go without sleep, General? Long enough. I get the feeling this will all be over by tomorrow's end, one way or another. Chapter 30. The caves were cool and damp, but they were far from dark. The rock walls and ceiling were laced with crystals that caught the dim light from the glow rods, reflecting and refracting their illumination throughout the cavern. Small pools shimmered on the floor, and enormous stalagmites jutted up toward the roof. An inverted forest of stalactites hung down, water dripping steadily from their tips to splash and ripple the pools far below. In some places, the protrusions on the floor and ceiling had actually fused, joined by centuries of sediment deposits from the endless trickles of moisture. The enormous columns were magnificent, massive, yet at the same time, delicate and fragile. Khan had no time to marvel at the natural beauty of their surroundings. He knew the Jedi scouts had marked their exodus to this underground refuge, and he knew General Hoth wouldn't wait long before coming after him. The cavern, though large, was crowded with the rest of the Brotherhood. Every surviving Sith Lord, with the notable exception of Darth Bane, was gathered with him here to make their final stand. The rest of his army was guarding the main entrances to the subterranean tunnels with orders to hold off the inevitable Jedi attack for as long as possible. Eventually, those outside would be overwhelmed, but Khan was confident their numbers would delay Hoth long enough for the ritual of the Thought Bomb to be completed. Gather round, he called out to the others. It is time! Githany knew there was something very wrong with Lord Khan. She had suspected something was amiss when they had fled the arriving Jedi reinforcements. When they landed back at camp, Khan had disappeared into the communications tent, then reappeared moments later and gone into his own tent without speaking a word. But when he emerged from his tent, the irresistible force of his charisma was back in place. He came to them then not as a defeated leader, seeking to make amends, but as a conquering hero, defiant and unbowed. He stood proud, The picture of might and glory. He spoke to them, his voice strong and his words bold, radiating authority. He spoke of leading them in a joining of their minds. A ritual that would far surpass the one Bane had led them in only hours earlier. He told them of a terrible weapon they would unleash against their foes. He rekindled their faith and hope by revealing the existence of the Thought Bomb. He had promised them victory, as he'd done so many times before. And, as they'd always done in the past, the Brotherhood had followed him once again. Followed him here to this cave. Though Githany wasn't sure if it was more accurate to say that they'd been led or lured. She'd followed him along with everyone else, compelled by the passion of his words and the sheer magnitude of his personality and presence. All thoughts that he might be unstable or unfit to lead them had been forgotten in the heady pilgrimage through the night to the shelter of this cave. Once they reached their destination though, the exhilarating rush had faded away, replaced by a stark and undeniable clarity. And she had finally seen the truth revealed in the illumination of the glow rods reflected in the crystals of the cavern walls. Khan's appearance and garb weren't unusual apart from the dust, grime, and blood of the recent battle. But now Githany could see a crazed look in his eyes. They were wide and wild and shone with a fierce intensity, sparkling as brightly as the crystal shards all around them. Those eyes brought back memories of the night she'd surprised Khan in his tent, the night she had seen her vision of Bane's return. He had looked disheveled and frantic, lost and confused. For a brief moment, she had glimpsed him as he truly was, a false prophet, unable to see past his own delusions. And then the flickering vision had disappeared, forgotten, until this instant. Now, however, the memory came flooding back, and Githany knew she was following a madman. The arrival of the Jedi reinforcements and the shocking defeat had caused something inside him to snap. Khan was leading them to their doom, and none of the others could sense it. She didn't dare to speak out against him not here in this cave, surrounded by his once again fanatically loyal followers. She wanted to sneak away, slip quietly off into the darkness, beyond the radiance of the glow rods, and escape this horrible fate. But she was caught up by the crush of bodies that surged forward at Khan's command. Gather in. Closer. Form a circle. A ring of power. She felt his hand grab her tightly by the wrist and pull her in so that her body pressed up against his. Even in the chill of the cave, his touch was freezing. Stand beside me, Githany, he whispered. We will share in this moment of exultation. Loudly he shouted, Join your hands as we must join our minds! The fingers of his right hand wrapped around her left, seizing it in a grip cold as ice and unyielding as Durasteel. One of the other Sith Lords took her other hand, and she knew all hope of escape was gone. Beside her, Khan began to chant. Githany was not the only one who sensed something wrong with Lord Khan. Like all the others, Lord Kopej had been swept up in the excitement of the thought bomb. He had cheered with all the rest when Khan described how it would obliterate the Jedi and imprison their spirits. And he had eagerly joined in the throng that had followed him to the cave. Now, however, his zeal had faded. He was thinking rationally again, and he realized the plan was utter insanity. They were at ground zero of the thought bomb's detonation. Any weapon powerful enough to destroy the Jedi would destroy them too. Khan had promised them That the strength of their combined will would allow them to survive the blast. But now Kopech had his doubts. The promise stank of wishful thinking birthed from a desperate mind that refused to admit defeat. If Khan had had this thought bomb all along, why hadn't he used it before? The only logical answer was that he was afraid of the consequences. And though Khan, in his madness, may have let go of that fear, Corpej was still sane enough to cling to his. The rest of the Sith pressed forward in response to Khan's command, but Corpej fought against the momentum of the crowd and moved in the opposite direction. None of the others seemed to notice. A wall of bodies surrounded Khan, blocking much of the light from the glow rods. In the shadows, the Twilik moved carefully toward the cavern's main exit, surprisingly silent for such a large being. He didn't turn or look back as he entered the tunnel to the surface and picked up his pace only once he heard the Brotherhood begin a slow, rhythmic chant. Escape was impossible, of course, but now the Jedi would already have the entire tunnel complex surrounded. Soon, they would engage the Sith troops out on the surface, trying to break through their barricade to come after Khan and end the last great Battle of Rusan. Korpej didn't know if they would make it in time. Part of him actually hoped they would. In the end, though, he wanted to make sure it didn't matter to him. He joined the defenders on the surface in one last stand against the Jedi. Death was inevitable. He was willing to accept that fact, but he also knew he'd rather die from a lightsaber or a blaster shot than be caught by the thought bomb's detonation. The chant was simple and after repeating it only once, Khan was joined by the rest of the Brotherhood. They recited the unfamiliar catechism in a steady constant rhythm. Their voices bounced off the cavern walls, the ancient words mixing and mingling in counterpoint as they echoed throughout the cave. Githany could feel the power beginning to gather in the center of the ring, like a fierce whirlpool spinning faster and faster. She felt the pull on her conscious thoughts as they were dragged down, Her awareness, her mind, and even her identity swallowed up in the vortex. The cool dampness of the cave faded, as did the reverberation of their voices. She could no longer smell the mildew and fungus growing in the hidden corners or feel the pressure of the hands that gripped her own. Finally, the shimmering of the reflective crystals and the pale light from the glow rods melted away. We are one. The voice was Khan's, yet it was hers as well. We are the dark side. The dark side is us. Though she could no longer hear the sound of their chanting, she could sense it, even as her mind slipped deeper and deeper into the center. Realizing she would soon lose both the ability and the desire to free herself from Khan's ritual, she tried to fight against what was happening to her. It was like swimming against the relentless undertow of an ocean's heart. She felt the words of the recurring mantra taking physical shape. They wrapped around their collective will, trapping it, shaping it, and binding it into a rapidly coalescing form. Feel the power of the dark side. Surrender to it. Surrender to the unified whole. Let us become one. From deep within herself, Githany summoned her last reserves of resistance. Somehow, they were enough and she was able to wrench her mind free from the unholy Conclave. She staggered back with a gasp, her sense crashing over her like floodwaters bursting through a retaining wall. Sight, sound, smell, and touch returned all at once, overwhelming her frantic mind. The light from the glow rods had grown faint and dim, as if it too was being swallowed by the ritual. The chant continued, so loud now, it actually hurt her ears. The temperature had dropped so sharply that she was able to see her breath, and tiny crystals of frost had begun to form on the stalactites and along the edges of the tiny puddles and pools. Suddenly she realized that neither Khan nor anyone else had a grip on her hands. They were all standing in the ring, arms raised toward its center, oblivious to the world around them. At first it looked as if they were grasping at nothing but as her eyes adjusted to the gloom, she caught sight of a strange distortion in the air. Githany couldn't bear to look at it for more than a moment. There was something terrible and unnatural about the wavering fabric of reality, and she turned away in horror. Bane was right, she realized. Khan has brought us to ruin. There was a faint tug on her mind, a gentle pull that was quickly growing stronger, threatening to draw her in with the others. She stumbled away from the profane ceremony and its doomed celebrants, squinting to see her way along the uneven footing. Bane tried to warn me, but I wouldn't listen. Her thoughts were a chaotic jumble of regret, desperation, and fear. Even as one part of her brain chastised her for her mistake, another was forcing her to back away from the abomination being birthed by the Brotherhood. Her retreat brought her to one of the cavern walls and she followed along it, looking for a way out. The compulsion of the ritual was growing stronger. She could feel it calling to her, inviting her to join the others and share their fate. She had no plan, no sense of where she was going. She simply had to escape, flee, get out, get away from here, before she was sucked in once again. A small space opened in the stone, a narrow tunnel entrance just wide enough for her to sneak through. She squeezed her body into the crevice. jagged stone slicing through cloth and skin. The pain was nothing to her. The physical world was slipping away again. Desperately, Githany managed to throw herself forward, crashing to the ground, then crawled frantically on her hands and knees down the tunnel. Away. She had to get away. Away from the ritual. Away from Khan, Away from the thought bomb before it was too late. The Sith soldiers guarding the entrance to the subterranean tunnels were strong in number but weak in spirit. They offered only token resistance to Farfalla and the rest of the Jedi advance units who came against them. The last battle of Rusan quickly transformed into a mass surrender, with the enemy throwing down their weapons and begging for their lives. Farfalla walked among his troops, surveying the scene. General Hoth was close behind with the bulk of the army. He'd be surprised to find the war already over when he arrived. How goes it? Farfalla asked one of the unit commanders. The Sith troops have us outnumbered three to one, the commander answered gruffly. And they're all trying to surrender at the same time. This is going to take a while. Farfalla gave him a hearty laugh and slapped him on the shoulder. Well said, he agreed. Sometimes I think people only follow the Sith because they know we'll take them alive if they lose. Don't you dare take me alive, Farfalla, a voice gurgled. Turning his head sharply, he saw a heavy set twilak lying wounded on the ground. The injured Twilick struggled to his feet, and Farfalla was surprised to see that he wore the robes of a Sith lord. His face was so covered in blood and gore, most of it his own, that it took the Jedi a moment to recognize him. "'Korpesh,' he said at last. "'remembering him from days long gone, back when Kopej had been a Jedi. "'You're hurt,' Farfalla continued, extending his hand in an offer of friendship. "'Lay down your weapons, and we can help you.' But Twi'lek's meaty hand lashed out to slap him away. "'I chose my side long ago,' he spat. "'Promise me death, Jedi, and I will give you a warning. "'I will tell you Khan's plan.' One look at the Dark Lord's wounds told Farfalla his enemy didn't have long to live in any case. What do you know? Kopech coughed, choking on the blood welling up in his throat. Promise me first, he wheezed. I will grant you death, if that is what you truly seek. I swear it. The Twi'lek laughed, pink froth bubbling up on his lips. Good. Death is an old friend. What Khan has planned is far worse. And he told Farfalla about the Thought Bomb, his words sending a chill down the Jedi Master's spine. When Kopesh had finished, he bowed his head and took a deep breath to gather his strength, then activated his life You promised me death, he said. I wish to fall in combat. If you hold back at all, You will be the one who dies here today. Do you understand? Master Farfalla nodded grimly, igniting his own weapon. Lord Kopesh fought valiantly despite his wounds, though he was no match for a fresh and uninjured Jedi Master. In the end, Farfalla fulfilled his promise. Chapter 31 The scene that greeted General Hoth, as his army came upon the battlefield, was as unexpected as it was welcome. He had braced himself for a vision of grim and bloody slaughter, fierce combat with neither side giving nor asking quarter. He'd imagined the corpses of the dead would be strewn about, trampled beneath the feet of those still fighting desperately to hang on to their lives. He had come expecting to see a war. Instead, he was witness to something so unbelievable His initial reaction was one of suspicion. Was it a trick? A trap? His fears were quickly allayed when he recognized the familiar and smiling faces of other Jedi all around him. As he surveyed the aftermath of the last Battle of Rusan, his own face broke into a smile. There were only a handful of dead, and from their dress it was clear that few of them had served in the Army of Light. Most of the enemy had been taken prisoner. They were sitting calmly on the ground in large groups, surrounded by armed Jedi. Yet even though the Jedi were keeping close watch on their captured foes, they were laughing and joking with one another. He reached out with the Force and he felt wave after wave of relief and joy washing out from Farfalla's troops. The soldiers under his command were quick to feel it too. Seeing the obvious victory, they broke ranks and ran cheering and laughing down to join their fellows in celebration. Hoth resisted the urge to shout out a command to regroup and simply let them go. The endless war was over. But as he walked through the milling throngs, accepting the salutes and congratulations of his followers, he realized something was wrong. The battlefield was full of placid, unarmed Sith, but he saw not a single Dark Lord among their numbers. The sight of Master Farfalla running at full speed toward him from the far side of the field did little to soothe his unease. General! Farfalla said, sliding to a stop and gasping for breath. He snapped off a quick salute. The lack of his typical over-the-top bow further fueled Hoth's mounting concern. I must have taken longer to assemble my forces than I thought, the general joked, hoping his disquiet was simply misplaced paranoia. It seems you've already won the war. Farfalla shook his head. The war isn't over. Not yet. Khan and the Brotherhood, the true Sith, have taken refuge in the caves. They're going to unleash some kind of Sith weapon, something called a thought bomb. A thought bomb? Hoth had heard mention of such a weapon long ago, studying at the feet of his master back at the Jedi Temple on Coruscant. According to legendary accounts, the ancient Sith had the ability to forge the Dark Side into a concentrated sphere of power and then unleash its energy in a single, devastating blast. All those sensitive to the Force, Sith and Jedi alike, would be consumed by the explosion, their spirits trapped in the great vacuum created at the epicenter of the detonation. Is Khan mad? he said aloud, though the very question was answer enough. We have to evacuate, General, Farfal insisted. Get everyone away as fast as possible. No, Hoth answered. That won't work. If we retreat, Khan and the Brotherhood will escape. It won't take them long to rally support and begin this war all over again. But what about the Thought Bomb? Valentine demanded. If Khan has such a weapon, the General explained grimly, then he will use it. If not here, then somewhere else. Maybe in the Core Worlds. Maybe on Coruscant itself. I can't allow that. Khan wants to witness my death. I have to go into the cave to face him. I have to force him to detonate the bomb here on Rusan. It's the only way to truly end this. Farfalla dropped to one knee. Then I will go by your side, General. As will all who follow me. Reaching out with his strong, weathered hands, General Hoth took Farfalla by the shoulders and hauled him to his feet. "'No, my friend,' he said with a sigh. "'You cannot walk this journey with me.' When the other started to protest, he held up a hand for silence and continued. "'When Khan unleashes his weapon, all within that cave will die. The Sith will be wiped out, but I won't let that happen to our entire Order.' The galaxy will have need of Jedi to rebuild once this war is over. You and the other Masters must live, so that you may guide them and defend the Republic, as we've done since its Foundation. There was no real argument against the wisdom of his words, and after a moment's deliberation, Master Farfalla dropped his head in mute acceptance. When he looked up again, there were tears in his eyes. Surely you're not going in alone, he protested. I wish I could, Hoth replied. But if I do, the Dark Lords will simply take me down with their lightsabers. That would solve nothing. Khan has to see that his only chance is to surrender. Or, he left the thought unspoken, you'll need enough Jedi to convince the Brotherhood that a physical battle would be hopeless. At least a hundred, any less, and he won't detonate the thought bomb. Hoth nodded. Nobody will be ordered to go in with me. Ask for volunteers, and make sure they understand none of us will ever be coming out. Despite the danger, virtually every single member of the Army of Light volunteered for the mission. General Hoth realized that he shouldn't have been surprised. After all, these were Jedi, willing to sacrifice everything, even their lives, for the greater good. In the end, he did what he knew he would have to do all along. He himself chose who would accompany him to certain death. He selected exactly 99 others to go with him. The decision was agonizingly difficult. If he took less, the Sith might be able to fight their way out of the cave and escape, only to detonate their thought bomb somewhere else. But the more he took, the more Jedi lives he might be needlessly throwing away. Choosing who would go with him was even more difficult. Those Jedi who had served at his side the longest, the ones who had joined the Army of Light at the very beginning of the campaign, were those he knew best. He knew how much they'd already given in this war, and these were the ones he least wanted to lead to their doom. Yet these were the ones with the most right to stand by his side when the end finally came. And when all was said and done, that was how he made his selection. Those with the most seniority would go with him. The others would fall back with Lord Farfalla. The Hundred Jedi, the Ninety-Nine Chosen plus Hoth himself, stood anxiously at the entrance of the tunnels. The sky above was growing dark as night fell and ominous storm clouds rolled in. Still, the General did not give the command to advance. He wanted to give Farfalla and the others enough time to get clear. If it had been possible he would have ordered all those not going into the cave to leave Rusan, but there wasn't time. They would simply have to get as far away as possible, then hope they were beyond the range of Khan's thought bomb. As the first drops of rain began to fall, he realized he could wait no longer, and he gave the command to advance. They marched in an orderly fashion into the tunnel, down into the caverns far beneath the planet's surface. The first thing Hotha noticed as they descended was how cold the tunnel quickly became, as if all the heat had been sucked away. The next thing he felt was the tension in the air. It actually pulsed with vast, unimaginable power just barely held in check. The power of the dark side. He didn't allow himself to think about what would happen when that power was released. They advanced slowly, wary of traps or an ambush. They found none. In fact, they saw no sign of the Sith at all, until they reached the large, central cavern at the heart of the tunnel system. General Hawk led the way, a glow rod in one hand and his drawn lightsaber in the other. As he stepped into the cavern, his glow rod suddenly flickered and went very dim. Even the illumination from his lightsaber seemed to die, becoming the thinnest sliver of incandescence. As his eyes grew accustomed to the heavy shadows, he was able to pick out the shapes of the Sith Lords, standing in a circle on the far side of the cave. They faced inward, their hands raised to its center. They stood without moving, their mouths hanging open, their features slack, their eyes blank. Cautiously, he approached the still forms, wondering if they were alive, dead, or trapped in some nightmare state in between. Drawing closer, he could make out a single figure standing in the center of the circle, Lord Khan. He hadn't seen him at first. The middle of the ring was darker than the rest of the cave. There seemed to be a black cloud hovering above him, tendrils of inky darkness extending down to wrap and twist around him in a sinister embrace. One look at the leader of the Brotherhood and any hope the general had of convincing Lord Khan to listen to reason died. The Sith Lord's face was pale and taut, His features were stretched as if his skin had become too tight for his skull. A thin layer of ice coated his hair and lashes. His expression was one of cruel arrogance, and his left eye trembled and twitched uncontrollably. He stared straight ahead with a frozen intensity, unblinking and unmoving as Hoth and his Jedi slowly filled the cavern. Only after all the Jedi were inside did he speak. Welcome, Lord Hoth. His voice was tight and strained. Are you trying to scare me, Khan? Hoth asked, stepping forward. I do not fear death, he continued. I do not mind dying. I would not mind all the Jedi dying if it meant the end of the Sith. Khan turned his head quickly from one side to the other, his eyes darting back and forth across the cave, as if he were counting the Jedi who stood before him. His lip curled into a sneer and he raised his hands up. The General made his move, lunging forward to try to end Khan's life before he could unleash his ultimate weapon. He wasn't quick enough. The Dark Lord clapped his hands together sharply and the Thought Bomb exploded. In an instant, every living soul in the cave was snuffed out of existence. Clothing, flesh, and bone were vaporized. The stalactites, the stalagmites, even the massive stone columns were reduced to clouds of dust. The rumbling echo of the blast rolled down every tunnel, crevice and fissure leading out of the cavern as the destructive wave of energy began to spread. Githany was trapped in the labyrinth of subterranean passages. In fleeing Khan's ritual, she'd lost her bearings, and now she wandered aimlessly down kilometer after kilometer of natural tunnels as she searched in vain for an exit to the surface. In the dim light of her glow rod, she saw a small opening on her left and followed it for many meters before it came to a dead end. Shouting out a curse, she turned and made her way back again. She was furious. Furious at Khan for bringing the Brotherhood to the brink of destruction furious at herself for following him there. And furious at Bane, there was no doubt in her mind that he had somehow orchestrated all this. He had manipulated Khan and the rest of the Brotherhood, driving them toward their own destruction. Yet that betrayal wasn't what enraged her. Bane had abandoned her. He'd cast her aside with the others, leaving her to die while he went off to rebuild the Sith. Ahead of her, the tunnel branched in two directions. She paused, drawing on the force to heighten her senses in the hope she might find some hint as to which path to take. At first, there was nothing. Then, she caught the faintest whisper of a breeze coming from the tunnel on the left. The air smelled fresh and clean. It led to the surface. As she raced up the passage, her frustration and rage fell away. She was going to survive. The uneven ground began to slope sharply upward and she could see a hint of natural light far in the distance. She redoubled her efforts and her thoughts turned to how she would exact her revenge. She would have to be subtle and cunning. She'd underestimated Bane too many times in the past. This time, she would be patient, not striking until she was certain the moment was right. The first step was to find him and offer to be his apprentice. There was no doubt in her mind he would accept. He needed someone to serve him. It was the way of the dark side. She would learn at his feet, subjugating herself to his will. It might take years, maybe decades, but in time, he would teach her everything he knew. Only then, after all his secrets were hers, would she turn on him. She would become the master and take an apprentice of her own. Escape was less than 50 meters away when Githany felt the first effects of the thought bomb. It began with a trembling in the ground. Her initial instinct was fear of a ground quake or a cave-in that would bury her beneath tons of dirt and stones within sight of the surface. But when she felt the power of the dark side rushing up the passage toward her, she realized she was about to suffer a far more horrible fate. Those at the epicenter of the blast had been vaporized. Caught on the fringes of the thought bomb's radius, Githany was not so lucky. The wave of pure dark side energy swept over her an instant later. It tore through her like some terrible wind, sucking the essence of life from her body and ripping her spirit from its corporeal shell. Her flesh withered and shrank, her beautiful features mummified before she even had time to scream. And then, as quickly as it had come, the wave had passed. For one frozen moment, her lifeless husk stood in perfect balance before it toppled and struck the ground, disintegrating into ash. On the surface many kilometers away, Farfalla and the other Jedi felt the ground shake and they knew their general was no more. A moment later, their minds erupted with the tortured screams of the Jedi and Sith caught up in the blast. The life force ripped away and sucked into the vacuum at the heart of the blast. Many of the Jedi wept in anguish, understanding how great the sacrifice of their fallen comrades had been. The spirits of the dead were bound for all eternity, forever frozen in stasis. Master Valentine Farfala now the leader of what remained of the Army of Light felt the sorrow as deeply as any of them. But this was not the time for grief. With General Hoth's passing, the burden of command was his to bear, and there were things that still needed to be done. Captain Hadaran, assemble a team, he ordered. We're going to search the area in and around the tunnels for survivors. He knew no living creature could have withstood the power of the Thought Bomb, but it was possible a few of the Sith might have fled before the detonation. After all that had been sacrificed, he had no intention of letting any of the Brotherhood escape. The captain gave him a quick salute and turned to go. Just before he left, Farfalla added, and have your troops keep an eye out for the bouncers. The last Sith ritual drove them to madness. Who knows what this one did to them? And if we spot them, sir, shoot to kill. Many kilometers in the opposite direction, Darth Bane also felt the reverberations of the blast. He sensed the wave of dark side energy pass over him, strong enough to leave him shivering even at this distance. Once it was gone, he reached out with the Force to seek out any who might have escaped. As he expected, he felt nothing. They were all gone. Khan. Corpege. Githany. All of them. The Brotherhood of Darkness had been purged. As far as the Jedi knew, the Sith were now extinct. Bane intended to keep it that way. He was the only Dark Lord of the Sith, the last of his kind. The burden of rebuilding the Order would fall to him, but this time he would do it right. Instead of many, there would be only two, one master and one apprentice, One to embody the power, and one to crave it. To survive, the Sith had to vanish, becoming creatures of myth, legend, and nightmares. Hidden from the eyes of the Jedi, they could seek out the lost secrets of the Dark Side until its full power was theirs to command. Only then, once victory over their enemies was certain, would they tear aside the veil of shadows and reveal themselves. The path ahead would be long and difficult. It might take years or decades before they could strike at the light once more, perhaps even centuries. But Bane was patient. He understood what was to come and what must be done. Though he himself might not live to see the triumph of the dark side, those who followed him would carry on his legacy. Someday in the distant future, the Republic would fall and the Jedi would perish and the entire galaxy would bow down to a dark lord of the Sith. It was inevitable. It was the way of the dark side. Satisfied that his work on Rusan was done, he began the long hike to where he'd hidden his ship. He knew the remaining Jedi would come looking for survivors, but by the time they arrived, he would be long gone. Still one thing troubled him. In order for all this to come to pass, he had to find a suitable apprentice. One strong in the Force, but not yet tainted by the teachings of the Jedi. Somewhere, he needed to find a child worthy of becoming heir to all the power of the dark side. Epilogue Rain stirred in her sleep, yet didn't wake. Someone was calling to her, but she didn't want to answer. In her dreams, she could imagine she was still back home with her cousins, enjoying a simple but happy life. If she woke, she knew she'd have to face the truth. That life was gone forever. Wake, Rain. It had vanished the moment that the Jedi Master Tor, his name had been, had recruited them to join the Army of Light. She hadn't even really wanted to join. But Bug and Tomcat, her cousins, were both going. They were her only family, and she didn't want to be left behind. She was young, only ten, but she was strong in the Force, and so Master Tor had let her come too. He had told them he was taking them to Rusan, where they would become Jedi. Only that never happened. Their shuttle had been attacked as soon as they entered the atmosphere, What occurred next was just a blur, but she remembered an explosion and screams. One wing of the ship had sheared away and suddenly she was falling. The smoking wreckage of the shuttle became a speck in the sky above her as it spiraled off out of control and she fell down, 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 until... Rain, wake! La! La had saved her. And it was La who was calling to her now. Slowly she opened her eyes and sat up, still groggy. Rain slept long. Now rain must wake. I'm up, La, she said to the bouncer hovering above her. La had saved her from that fall, catching her as she plummeted from hundreds of meters above Rusan's surface. Bad dreams, Rain. No, she replied. Not bad dreams, La. I dreamed I was back home. La never actually spoke to her. She only heard the words inside her head. They communicated through the power of the Force, La had once explained to her. But whenever Rain answered, she always voiced the words aloud. Bad dreams coming. Rain frowned, trying to figure out exactly what La was trying to tell her. Sometimes when the bouncers talked about dreams, they actually meant something else. Sometimes it was as if the bouncers had visions of the future. She remembered what Law had said just before the entire forest had exploded in flames. Bad dreams, Rain. Death dreams. The fires had killed most of the other bouncers. The survivors had all gone mad. All except Law. Somehow Rain had saved her. She'd used the Force, shielding them both from the burning death and destruction, though she wasn't quite sure how she'd done it. It had just sort of... happened... Now she and La had nobody left but each other. Bad dreams coming, the bouncer repeated. A few hours earlier, she had felt something strange, the ground rumbling beneath her feet as if something had exploded far, far away. Was this what La was talking about? Was this the bad dream, or was her friend trying to warn her about something that hadn't happened yet? I don't understand, she said looking around at the bushes surrounding the clearing where she had lain down to sleep. She didn't see anything out of the ordinary. Not yet, anyway. Goodbye, Rain. There was an aching sorrow in La's words that stabbed through Rain's heart like a knife, but she still didn't know what the bouncer was talking about. Before she could ask, there was a sound from the bushes. She spun around to see two men come crashing into the clearing. She could tell right away they were Jedi, They wore the same brown robes as Master Tor, and she saw lightsabers dangling from their belts. Each one also carried a large blaster rifle. Bouncer! one shouted. Look out! They reacted so quickly their motions were nothing but a blur as they opened fire. By the time the scream left Rain's lips, her friend was already dead. She was still screaming when the first Jedi ran up to her. Are you okay, little one? he asked, reaching down. Instinctively, she lashed out at him. She didn't know how she did it. It wasn't even a conscious thought. She only knew he had shot her friend. He had killed La! What's the ma- His voice was cut short as she snapped his neck with the Force. The eyes of his companion went wide in horror, but before he could do anything else, she had broken his neck too. Only then did Rain stop screaming. Instead, she began to cry. Great heaving sobs that racked her body as she crawled over to press herself against the soft green fur of La's still warm body, where it had fallen to the ground. Bane found her there. A young human child, weeping over the remains of one of Rusan's native bouncers. The corpses of two young Jedi lay nearby. Their heads twisted at obscene angles to their bodies. It took him only an instant to piece together what must have happened. The girl looked up at him as he approached, her eyes puffy and red. He guessed she was nine, maybe ten at the most. He could feel the power of the Force burning in her, fueled by grief and rage and hatred. Even if he hadn't sensed it, the broken Jedi at her feet gave mute testament to her abilities. He didn't speak but stood silently. The girl's sobbing stopped. She sniffled and wiped her nose with the back of her hand. Then she rose to her feet and took a tentative step toward him. Who are you? He demanded, his voice deep and threatening. She didn't retreat or flee, though her reply was hesitant. My name is Rain. I mean, Xana. My cousin used to call me Rain, but they're dead now. is my real name. Bane nodded, understanding completely. Rain. A nickname. A name of childhood and innocence. An innocence now lost. Do you know who I am? He asked. She nodded and took another step forward. You're a Sith. You're not afraid of me? No. She insisted with a shake of her head, though Bane knew she wasn't being completely honest. He could feel her fear, but it was buried beneath far stronger emotions. Grief, anger, hatred, and the desire for revenge. I have killed many people, Bane warned her. Men, women, even children. She shuddered but held her ground. I'm a killer too. Bane glanced over at the Jedi corpses, then turned his focus back to the little girl standing defiantly before him. Was she the one? Had the Force led him along this route back to his ship? Had it brought him here at this exact moment simply so he could find his apprentice? He asked the final, most important question Do you know the ways of the Force? Do you understand the true nature of the dark side? No, Rain admitted, never dropping her gaze from his own. But you can teach me. I'm young. I will learn. This is Jonathan Davis. We hope you've enjoyed this unabridged production of Star Wars, Darth Bane, Path of Destruction, a novel of the Old Republic by Drew Karpishen. This program was directed by Kevin Thompson. Executive producer Aaron Blank. Star Wars Darth Bane Path of Destruction is a production of Lucasfilm Limited copyright 2006 all rights reserved used under authorization. Music composed by John Williams. Music publishing by Warner Tamerlane Publishing Corporation and Bantha Music. Music Master Production, Copyright 2007, Lucasfilm Limited. This has been a Random House Audio presentation. All rights reserved. Audible hopes you have enjoyed this program.